0: Welcome to the Nightmare Emporium. Here we take a deep dive into some grisly tales that are bound to make you lose your head. Now, let's check in with our host, the macabre Marvel herself, to see what she has in store for us this week. Welcome back. To part two of our story, The Man Who Returned. Shall we get on with it? He, John Woodford, had already decided that he must remain dead to his wife and therefore to the world. He might as well remain so to his son also. It was for the best. John Woodford melted away from the cottage into the darkness. When he reached the street, he stood in indecision. A freezing wind had begun to blow and he felt very cold without an overcoat. Mechanically, he turned his coat collar closer around his neck. He tried to think of what he must do. Neither Helen nor Jack must know that he was living, and that meant that no one in the city must know. He had to get out of the town to some other place, take up life under some other name. But he would need help, money, to do that. Where was he going to get them? Barred as he was from calling on his wife or son, to whom could he turn for help without letting his return become generally known? Howard Norse. The name came at once to Woodford's lips. Norse had been his employer, head of the firm where Woodford had held a position for many years. Woodford had been one of his oldest employees. Howard Norse would help him get a position somewhere else, and would keep his reappearance secret. He knew where Norse's residence was, several miles out in the country, but he couldn't walk that far, and he had no taxi or trolley fare. He would have to telephone Norse. Woodford walked back towards the city's central section, head bent against the piercing cold wind. He succeeded in finding an all-night lunchroom whose proprietor allowed him to use the telephone. With cold stiffened fingers, he dialed Norse's number. Howard Norse's sleepy voice soon came over the wire. "'Mr. Norse, this is Woodford. John Woodford,' he said quickly. There was an incredulous explanation from Howard Norse. "'You're crazy. John Woodford's been dead and buried for a couple of weeks.' "'No, I tell you, it's John Woodford,' insisted Woodford. "'I'm not dead at all. I'm as living as you are. "'If you'll come into town for me, you'll see for yourself.' "'I'm not likely to drive into town at two in the morning to look at a maniac,' Norse replied acidly. "'Whatever your name is, you're wasting your time on me.' "'But you've got to help me,' Woodford cried. "'I've got to have money, a chance to get out of the city without anyone knowing. I gave your firm my services for years, and now you've got to give me help.' "'Listen to me, whoever you are,' Norse snapped over the wire.' I was bothered long enough with John Woodford when he was living. He was so inefficient we'd have kicked him out long ago if we hadn't been sorry for him. But now that he's dead, you needn't think you can bother me in his name. Good night." The receiver clicked in Woodford's unbelieving ear. He stared at the instrument. So that was what they had really thought of him at the firm. There, where he'd always thought himself one of the most highly valued of employees. But there must be someone upon whom he could call for help. Someone he could convince that John Woodford was still living. Someone that might be glad to think he was still living. What about Willis Grant? Grant had been his closest friend next to Curtis Dawes. He had lent money more than once to Woodford in the past, and certainly should be willing to do so now. Hastily, Woodford called Grand's number. This time, he was more careful in his approach when he heard the other's voice. "'Willis, I've got something to tell you. That may sound incredible, but you've got to believe, do you hear?' He said. "'Who is this and what in the world are you talking about?' demanded Grand's startled voice. "'Willis, this is John Woodford. Do you hear? John Woodford. Everyone thinks I'm dead, but I'm not, and I've got to see you.' "'What?' cried the other's voice over the telephone. "'Why, you must be drunk. I saw Woodford lying in his coffin myself, so I know he's dead. I tell you it's not so, I'm not dead,' Woodford almost screamed. "'You've got to get some money, though, to get away from here. You must lend it to me. You always lend it to me before, and I need it now worse than I ever did. I've got to get away.' "'So that's it, then,' said Willis Granne, "'Because I used to help Woodford out, you think you can get money from me "'just by calling me up and pretending you're he. "'Why, Woodford himself was the biggest pest in the world with his constant borrowings. "'I almost felt relieved when he died. "'Now you're going to try and make me believe that he's come back from the dead to pester me again? "'But he really never died. I'm I'm John Woodford, really!' "'Woodford protested vainly. "'Sorry, old top,' returned Gran's mocking voice. "'Next time, pick a living person to impersonate, not a dead one.' He hung up. John Woodford slowly replaced the receiver and made his way out to the street. The wind was blowing harder now, and it was bringing with it clouds of fine snow that stung against his face like sand. He shivered as he stumbled along the streets of dark shops, his body freezing as his mind was frozen. There was no one from whom he could get help, he saw." His paramount necessity was still to get out of the city, and to do that, he must rely on himself. The icy blasts of the snow-laden wind penetrated through his thin coat. His hands were shaking with the cold. A sign caught Woodford's eye, the illuminated beacon of a relief lodging house. At once he made his way toward it. He could at least sleep there tonight, get started from the city in the morning. The shabby men dozing inside, in chairs, looked queerly at him as he entered. So did the young clerks to whom he made his way. I'd... I'd like to stay here tonight, he said to the clerk. The clerk stared. You trying to kid me? Woodford shook his head. No, I'm penniless and it's cold outside. I've got to stay somewhere. The clerk smiled disdainfully. Listen, fellow, no one with duds like yours is that hard up scram before I call a cop. Woodford looked at his clothes, his frock coat and stiff white shirt, and gleaming patent leather shoes, and understood. He said desperately to the clerk, but these clothes don't mean anything. I tell you, I haven't a penny. Will you beat it before I have you thrown out of here? The clerk demanded. Woodford backed towards the door. He went outside again to the cold. The wind had increased and more snow was falling. The front of Woodford's coat was soon covered in it as he moved along. It came to him as a cruel joke that the splendor of his funeral clothes would keep him from getting help now. He couldn't even beg a passerby for a dime. Who would give to a panhandler in formal clothes? Woodford felt his body quivering and his teeth chattering from sheer cold. If only he could get out of the blast of the icy wind his eyes sought desperately among the street for a hallway where he might shelter himself. He found a deep doorway and crouched down inside it, out of the wind and driving snow, but hardly had he done so when a heavy step paused in front of him and a nightstick rapped his feet smartly. An authoritative voice ordered him to get up and go home. Woodford did not try to explain to the policeman that he was not "'a drunken citizen fallen by the way. "'He got warily to his feet "'and moved along the street, "'unable to see more than a few feet ahead of him "'for the whirl of snow. "'The snow on which he was walking "'penetrated the thin shoes he wore, "'and his feet were soon even colder "'than the rest of his body. "'He walked with slow, dragging steps, "'head bent against the storm of white. "'He was dully aware That the dark shops beside him had given way to a low stone wall. With a sudden start, he recognized it as the wall of the cemetery he had left but hours before the cemetery containing the vault from which he had escaped. The vault! Why hadn't he thought of it before? he asked himself. The vault would be a shelter from the freezing wind and snow. He could stay there for the night without anyone objecting. He paused, feeling for a moment a little renewal of his former terrors. Did he dare go back into that place from which he had struggled to escape then an extra strong blast of icy air struck him and decided him the vault would be shelter and that was what his frozen body craved more than anything else stiffly he climbed over the low stone wall and made his way through the cemetery's whitened monuments and vaults towards the one from which he had escaped the driving snow covered his tracks almost as he made them as he trudged towards the vault. He reached it and tried its iron doors anxiously. Suppose he had locked them when he left, but to his relief they swung open, and he entered and shut them. It was dark inside, but he was out of the wind and the snow now, and his numbed body felt a little relief. Woodford sat down in the corner of the vault. It was a shelter for the night at least, It seemed rather ironic that he had to come back here for shelter, but it was something to be thankful for that he even had this. In the morning, when the storm was over, he could leave without anyone seeing and get out of the city. He sat listening to the wind and snow shriek outside. The stone floor of the vault was very cold, so cold that he felt his limbs stiffening and cramping, and finally he stood up unsteadily and paced to and fro in the vault, Chafing his arms and hands. If only he had a blanket, or even a heavy coat to lie upon, he'd freeze there upon the stone floor. Then, as he turned in his pacing, he bumped into the coffin on the shelf, and a new idea was born in his mind. The coffin! Why, the interior of it was lined deep with silk and satin padding. It would be warm in the coffin. He could sleep in it for better than the cold stone floor but did he dare to re-enter it again woodford felt faintly the former terrors he had experienced when he had awakened in it but they meant nothing he told himself for he would not be fastened in this time and his frozen flesh yearned for the warmth of the coffin's lining slowly carefully he climbed up and lowered himself into the coffin and stretched out The silken padding he sank into had a grateful warmth. He lowered his head upon the soft little pillow with a sigh of relief. This was better. He experienced an almost luxurious comfort now, but after he had lain for a little, he felt the top of his body was still cold, where the cold air came from the open coffin's top. That cold air entering kept him from being completely warm, if the lid above him were just closed to keep out the cold air. He reached up and got the edge of the heavy metal lid, and then let it down upon himself. He was completely in the dark now, inside the closed coffin. But he was warm too, for the lid kept out the cold air. And he was getting warmer all the time, as his body warmed up the interior. Yes, it was far more comfortable with the lid closed. An even warmth now permeated his whole being, and the air inside the coffin was still getting warmer and thicker. He felt a little drowsy now, as he breathed in that warm air, felt luxuriously sleepy as he lay on the soft silk. It was getting a little harder to breathe, somehow, as the air became thicker. He really ought to raise the coffin lid and let in some fresh air. But it was so warm now, and the air outside is so cold, and he was more and more sleepy. Something dim and receding in his fading consciousness told him that he was on the way to suffocation. But what if he was, was his sleepy thought. He was better off in here than back in the world outside. He'd been a fool to ever fight so hard before to get out of this warm, comfortable coffin, to get back to that cold, outside world. No, it was better like this, the darkness and the warmth and the sleep that advanced. Nobody would ever know that he had awakened at all, that he had been away from here at all. Everything would be just as before. And with that comforting assurance, John Woodford was swept further and further down the dark stream of unconsciousness from which this time, there would be no returning. Well, well, wasn't that just a scream? Until next time, our fiendish friends, remember to stay scared, and sometimes it's more than just a story.